if you fail once, if the world tells you no a few times, there might still be something there, but hence being an entrepreneur, you gotta decide when you've gotten to the point that, okay, this is a bad idea. And remember, there are five other essential traits. So it's not just passion that makes you an entrepreneur. So be careful because some people are very passionate about something, but they're not visionary and they're not a risk taker and they're not responsible. And so that's when it's dangerous. Hi, I'm Nick Ninton, and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes. Hey everybody, Nick Nanson here, and I'm really excited today to bring on a very good friend of mine who I have learned an awful lot from, a guy named Gino Wickman. Gino is most well known for his book, Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business, which I cannot recommend highly enough, as well as for developing the EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, which we use because Nick's operating system sucked. So we used, uh, we were using EOS system and the same, uh, about a hundred thousand companies plus around the world use the operating system. So if you happen to be watching this and you're looking for a way to break through in your business, go ahead and make sure you look at those resources. But today we're going to be talking all about his newer book, The Entrepreneurial Leap, and it's for budding entrepreneurs. Today we're going to talk all about what it takes to become a successful entrepreneur, how to know if you are one, how to know if you're not one. I think a super helpful conversation for those young and old who are considering taking that entrepreneurial leap. So I'll bring him on right now and I'll say, Gino, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Nick, I'm thrilled to be here and looking forward to spending some time with you as we're able to do a couple times a year. That's it, my friend. My, that's good stuff. Um, so tell me this. You started out as an entrepreneur really as a kid, but no one really identified that for you. Is it a word you hadn't even heard? Is it something people would mention, but no one explained it to you? Tell me about that. Yeah. And as I say that, you know, there's an old saying that says, we teach what we needed the most. Daniel Kennedy said that. And so you know, this project is, it is teaching my 18 year old self, as you're asking about, because at 18, I was this mislabeled derelict. I was insecure, confused, lost. I was an entrepreneur in the making. And no, I had no idea what that was. I was different from my friends. As they all went off to college, I wanted to go to work and make money. So I really believe it was about 29 years old when I really fully realized what I was and un fully understood that term entrepreneur. But, you know, I certainly caught glimpses of it throughout my 20s as I kept getting clearer and clearer. You know, I mean, it was a it was a big word, probably around 24, 25, 26 for me. And then I got into the entrepreneurs organization around 27. But now at 18 years old, I I didn't know the word and I was rudderless, for lack of a better term. <laughs> I got that. We will actually talk about education because there's a couple things in the book that you mentioned about higher education, which I love. I think it's a very, uh, it was a very fair synopsis because people oftentimes demonize, villainize, or glorify education. And it's a tool, right? And it can be yeah. right or wrong for different people. And I love how you covered that. But how do you, if you're talking to someone who says, yeah, I've heard this word entrepreneur, but I don't even really understand what it is. How do you define that for somebody? 
Yeah, so I I define it as six essential traits, okay? So a person who is a true entrepreneur, you've exhibited these traits your whole life. And I like how you said it because you could be 12 years old or 112 years old. At some point, if you have these traits, you're going to take an entrepreneurial leap or you should take an entrepreneurial leap. And so very quickly, I'll give you the high level on them. And I always, when I share them, urge the audience to kind of scan their body and see if this defines them. Uh, But a true entrepreneur is someone who, again, has these six essential traits. Number one, visionary, and then passionate. Next is problem solver, then driven, then risk taker and responsible. And and as I say that, you know, I, I define that as a true entrepreneur. When I say true entrepreneur, the other definition of an entrepreneur is someone who takes a risk to start a business to bring a product or service to the world and builds an organization with people. And so that's my definition of an entrepreneur because I teach something called the entrepreneurial range where these are all the people on the right side of the range. On the left side of the range are your one person show, people with a uh, a sole proprietorship, they might have a side hustle, uh, they might be a consultant and there's no shame in that. Anyone on that range is self-employed, has their own business, is truly free but I believe a true entrepreneur is more on the right end of that range where they build organizations. And an example of the true red line, far right side of the range are the greatest entrepreneurs of all time, Elon Musk, Oprah Winfrey, Walt Disney, Sarah Blakely, Henry Ford. And so you're somewhere on that range from a one person show to building the billion dollar empires that these other entrepreneurs have done. That's great. I, I want to walk through those six traits a little deeper in a few minutes. But one of the things that reading your book really also opened my eyes to was I really there was this rub sometimes that I'd be working with uh, contractors, you know, sole proprietors who did a lot of work with me, particularly on the film side of what I do, because that's where I had the most contractors. And I just assumed they were entrepreneurs because they weren't working for somebody else. And so it was really eye opening for me to realize, oh, wait a minute, maybe that's part of the reason why I perhaps had offered them uh, some more reward if they took a little bit of risk and they, and everything else aligned with them working for themselves, but I just couldn't figure out why this wasn't computing. So that was a really interesting distinction. I also love how you talk about uh, education. If I recall correctly, you said you interviewed lots of entrepreneurs and there wasn't any, was there wasn't any particular Uh, indication of success from going to school or not going to school. It was just right for some people and wrong for some people. But I I think this is the best line, if I recall correctly, was, but every entrepreneur you spoke with that went to college said they probably would have studied something different. Yeah, exactly. And and if I can, I'm I'm a big believer in context. So for your audience, I just want to create a little context as I respond to that. I, I write this book and I teach this content to the world in three parts. I call it Confirm, Glimpse, and Path. And and confirm comes first because we first and foremost have to confirm whether or not you even are, because as we go to part two path, I'm sorry, part two glimpse, and I show a glimpse of all that is possible, we want to make sure we confirm that before we kind of light you up as an entrepreneur. And then path is showing kind of the, the path, the milestones, the road to help eliminate half the mistakes and increase your odds of success. And so when I talked about the six essential traits, that gets to kind of confirming you're now jumping to a path part of the equation. And and the reason I say that is knowing you and I and the way that we converse, we're going to bounce all over the place. All over, yes. And and I want to just kind of anchor each tool in its appropriate place because once we've confirmed, once we've given you the glimpse and we get into path, 
I do something very specific in PATH, and one of them, each one is a chapter, I'm just kind of preparing you for everything that's about to happen and how to increase your odds of success. And one of those is going to college or not. And, and so now to answer your question spot on, I did not go to college. And I knew it wasn't right for me. I could not wait to get out of academia. I have these traits. I have OCD, ADHD. In other words, I just wanted to go make money. And I was tainted all through my 20s and 30s because the entrepreneurs that I would work with and I would help, I would ask the same question. And I would say, because almost every single one of them were college graduates and many, many were MBAs. And I would ask them, is there anything you're using from your degree as an entrepreneur. And literally 100% of them said no. And so I was biased immediately after 20 years of hearing that. And I'm thinking, why on earth would an entrepreneur ever go to college when you know that, when you, you know that answer? And, but what I started doing for them the next 10 years is asking a follow-up question. And I would ask, if you knew everything you know now, would you go back to college? And they all said yes. And so that surprised me. And that's what forced me to do this research that is a full chapter in this book. And so I dug into that. But what was powerful is what they said. And the reason they would go back to college is two benefits. Number one was the relationships, the network they built that has served them well as an entrepreneur. And then number two, it was a great practice ground. And so they sold T-shirts and candy and ideas and one started a DJ company. And so it was those two things. So it was not about the education. It was about the interaction with the people. And so long story short, I present all the facts. And um, one of those facts is that 46 percent of all business owners don't have a degree. And so it's about 50-50. And so the conclusion is it's a choice you make. And the beauty is if you do choose to go, I then get a, give you a laundry list of classes that you should take if you are going to go invest at least four years into college. In addition to these great benefits that these entrepreneurs already shared, they also gave their recommendations on the classes that you should take if you're gonna go there and learn and in all of these classes, it's too many to rattle off right now, uh, will yep. really help increase your odds of success if you do choose to go to college. So it's not an anti-college message, it's just simply a choice you make uh, weighing all the facts. I love it. And and by the way, I got to commend you. I mean, your books are really good. I mean, it's really hard to have a good book. Every book I've ever read by you and I have your new uh, EOS life book here ready to read as well. Gr yeah. Nice job because that that's a, that's a different skill than understanding things. Actually writing a great book is just a, a distinctly different skill. Most people don't get that. I asked Chris Voss uh, who wrote the book, Never Split the Difference. You and I both know him. Uh, yeah. Formerly an FBI hostage negotiator. And his book is really, really good. I originally didn't read it because I was like, ah, I went to law school. I've seen all the negotiation books. And finally, I heard enough about it. I'm like, all right, I'll bite. And I would say it's one of my top 10 books of all time now. And I talked to him about it. I said, Chris, there's clearly been other lead FBI hostage negotiators. And I know some have written books, but never heard of any of them. What's the secret? He goes, 
he said, I'm not a, even I'm not a writer. He said, I found a really great writer to help me make sure that my great stories became a great book. So maybe a little insight for everybody there, but anyway, nice, nice work. It is, a, these are all great books and anyone yeah, who picks and if up I, one. If I may, if I may, Nick, yeah. I'll throw two things out there, you know, so I appreciate that. I'll never say that I write great books, but I certainly appreciate <laughs> you saying it, but I will tell you this, I'm a teacher at heart. Okay. And so all I'm doing is I'm teaching. And, and, and maybe my two most common benefits is number one, OCD. So thank God for OCD. I obsess about that end user that's about to be the recipient of this content. And number two, practicality. I'm incredibly practical. I wanna give you a how-to manual. I don't want you to do all the thinking. It's not necessary. I wanna give you the tools that you need. Once you understand it, Here's the tool that's going to save you literally 85% of the work and you can just go forward and execute and bring whatever I'm teaching to light. I, a living proof of that. Everyone told me 10 years ago that EOS would change my life. 90 days in, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a convert. I'm <laughs> preaching the evangelism of EOS. So, all right, let's dig into uh, the six essential traits of an entrepreneur, a, a visionary. What is a visionary? It sounds like a great thing. And again, I love the fact that you're not, um, we both are pure entrepreneurs too. So we, we celebrate entrepreneurs. I don't think a lot of other people do, but there's nothing wrong. If you're not an entrepreneur, you can make a great career. You can, you can make a terrible choice in trying to chase a family footsteps or what if same way you would, if you didn't want to be a doctor and you went to medical school or like me, you didn't want to be a lawyer and you went to law school, although it has served me well because I'm not a lawyer. I think it serves me best because I'm not a lawyer, because if I was a lawyer, I would just be another lawyer in a room full of lawyers. And I don't know how I differentiate, but, um, I think first of all, there's no stigma to not being an entrepreneur, just try to figure it out. So you don't set up a lifetime of misery because if you're in the wrong spot, you will. Um, but let's talk about visionary because this sounds like a fun, a fun thing to have. Oh, you better believe it. Um, a blessing and a curse just for the record, but a fun thing to have. Uh, and as I, as we do a little deeper dive into them, you know, the, the thing I want to share is I am pretty darn convinced and obsessed that you are born with these traits they cannot be taught. And so as we go deep into them, what I urge the listener to do is please be honest with yourself. Please do a checkup on yourself because unfortunately I break hearts with this message, which means if you don't have these six essential traits, you should not go start a business with people. It's not for you. And while that breaks hearts, I'm trying to save you 10 years of hell. There's also a free assessment you can take. You'll answer 25 questions about yourself. Please be honest. If you score 90 or higher, odds are pretty good you have these traits. But as we go deep into these, I just urge you out there to just do a checkup on yourself because rule of thumb, you've been exhibiting these your whole life. And so visionary means that you simply have a lot of ideas and you're able to connect the dots. So you just have this way of putting things together. You see the world a bit different than others do. You kind of have this sixth sense um, and, and you're able to almost see around corners. And in other words, you're just, you have this ability to kind of see things coming. But I always like to summarize it as you just have a lot of ideas and it's not revolutionary ideas to put somebody on Mars or populate Mars. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as, um, you know, just a, 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 simple, a simple little product improvement on something that already exists. So it doesn't have to be revolutionary, but your brain is just kind of always 
turning. The gears are always turning. Uh, yes, I have woken <laughs> my wife up in the middle of the night more than one time with an idea. Um, my business partner and mentor about 20 years ago, he reminded me that sometimes the best, the most exciting thing about an idea is coming up with it. And sometimes you should just leave it at that. Like and that's, <laughs> it, it, it is a blessing and a curse because you constantly have ideas. If you don't learn when and how to possibly present these ideas to other people, sometimes they think, you know, you're, you're being overly picky or, but yeah, you see, I think I put it this way to me, visionary means you see opportunity and opportunity in broken things or not broken things, but you see opportunity. I would imagine, and Gino, maybe you would know this are most, Entrepreneurs optimistic or no? Is that a, is that a fair trait or not? Um, well, I wouldn't. So that's not going to show up in these six essential traits. I would suggest my guess is so I have this way of kind of seeing them all now as you ask that question. I think yeah. most are, but not necessarily, you know, so so but most definitely are. But I would my fear in answering this for the percentage that are more pessimistic yeah, it's not a lockout. It's not a lockout. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that that's not one of the filters, if you will. But most are definitely I, optimistic. I would I would imagine. Um, the other thing I will point out here, I'm actually working with uh, my friend Kim Walsh Phillips on a, on a documentary right now about uh, about depression, anxiety, and suicide among entrepreneurs because that is also a thing. And especially, I would imagine, you know, as much as we're going to talk about because we we live this life and we we can't help but live this life. Um, it is a blessing and it can also be a curse, but if it is not for you, um, it can be a dark path. And so I, oh, yeah. I agree. I think you're, you're saving lives by helping people realize what they are and just realize if someone put in your mind that entrepreneurs are the only heroes in the world or some other garbage, like there's plenty of other jobs in the world that are obviously super important. Uh, you know, like there, I know, physicians and surgeons some are entrepreneurial some are not but a lot of them save lives every day and so whatever your calling is i want to encourage you if this is not it do not actually if anything celebrate rejoice the fact that you did not waste a bunch of time doing something that ultimately is going to make you miserable because it, it it will if you if it's not for you um, yeah and that gets and that gets to that point about saving lives in my math i believe it's four percent of the population four percent of the population have these six essential traits so if you don't have them it's okay 96 percent don't and there are literally a thousand other career options so it's not the end-all be-all and sadly that's what's being promoted right now is like being an entrepreneur is like this ultimate destination in life and it's just not it's one option and there are a lot of blessings and curses that go along with it. Totally. Well, as you can tell by the way we are talking, the second trait being passionate uh, is is a, a huge trait. I would imagine it's so important because if you can't get anyone else to join your journey uh, because they're not excited by it, if you can't make them impassioned about it. And by the way, that's not going to be everybody. I also would say, you know, uh, my friend Jack Canfield, I think you know Jack as well, Gino, you know, uh, co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, sold 500 million books. He has a way of talking about uh, the famous Walt Disney line that I absolutely love. If you can dream it, you can do it. Now, we've all heard it. And it's a bit cliche, but the way I love how he digs into and he just pokes you right in the soul and he says so if there's something that keeps coming up in your mind that is a dream of yours that you keep pushing down to the bottom let me assure you god would not have given you that dream if it was not for you now 
you may have to learn different skills. You may have to change your location. You may have to change the people you hang around with. You may have, you may have to become a different person in order to achieve those things. But I'm going to just let it haunt you for a bit that if it has been given to you, some piece of that is for you. Now, the other part of that is you have to learn that when it was given to you doesn't mean it was given to anyone else around you. You will very often try to share that dream with you and be met very oftentimes with sometimes you met with practical advice, which I, I think is important to like one of the hardest things about, I would imagine being an athlete. I think certainly being a top performing entrepreneur is knowing when to listen and when not to listen because you've been told no so many times. That's like a really hard discerning characteristic, but I think it's just really important that you also understand that look, other people have not been given the same dreams you have been given. So it's okay to sometimes guard that dream and find those who it's worth sharing about. But then when you do share it passionately, if you're getting no takers, perhaps passion isn't your, your number one skill set. What do you say to that? Yeah, I would say a few things to that. You know, so when we when I share passion as a trait, very specifically, it's passion for your thing, which is exactly what you're saying. And so there is this thing that a true entrepreneur is obsessed about. It's a product or a service or a void they want to fill in the world or a problem they want to solve in the world. Uh, so they have strong belief. And so Steve Jobs was accused of what they would call having a, a reality distortion field. So the only thing that I would push a little bit on what you're saying, maybe over the line is sometimes that passion, you believe you can accomplish something that others don't believe is possible. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times people told me it wasn't possible to build what I built with EOS Worldwide because right. no one could do it the way that I did it or, or you can't leverage something like that. But I was so obsessed about that end user and realizing how I could reach so many. I failed and I failed and I failed, but figured it out. And so, you know, it's if you fail once, if the world tells you no a few times, there might still be something there. But hence, being an entrepreneur, you got to decide when you've gotten to the point that, okay, this is a bad idea. And remember, there are five other essential traits. So it's not just passion that makes you an entrepreneur. So be careful because some people are very passionate about something, but they're not visionary and they're not a risk taker and they're not responsible. And so be really careful. That's when it's dangerous. I totally agree. And I've, I've run into so many people and I, before I had this checklist, which I should probably just get tattooed on me, you know, I, I would talk to someone who's like, wow, this, this person is really passionate and I would try to share some things to help them. And then they would just never go do anything. And it's like, oh, okay, well you're, you're missing a lot of the other pieces. I, yeah. I mean, our mutual friend, Peter Diamandis, founder of the X prize also says the day before something's a breakthrough is impossible. And so it, there is this stubbornness to show what's possible. I guess I just, you know, you better be convicted, I guess, is all, is all I can say to that, because we have seen that work out really great and hero, create heroes in some industries. And there's probably a lot of very public and very private losers in that game uh, as well. When something just, you just, it's just not, you know, it's just not for you, I guess. Um, a problem solver is interesting. You, you see solutions, right? So you, uh, we talked about seeing opportunity by being a visionary. You see opportunity, but you don't just, I would say the opposite of this is someone who says, hey, here's a problem, but I don't have any idea how to fix it. This is yeah. like, hey, I, I see an opportunity here. And what if we tried this? How do you define that for those seeking? Yeah. 
Yeah, a few words, but then I want to try and really put it in a nutshell on this one, because this, like you said, you're a creative problem solver. When there's a setback, you lean into it. And this is where that optimism shows up. But you see solutions where others see problems. But the litmus test is this. When you're faced with a problem, do you light up, lean in, get excited? Literally, your energy goes up when faced with a problem. Or does all of the energy go out of you? Because that's the telltale sign. So somebody with this trait, remember, you're born with it. It's DNA. It's genetic. Your whole life, you've just had this ability to lean into these problems and, and, and creatively solve them. Again, you just have a wiring and a genetic encoding that gets you excited about solving problems. I would imagine, you know, tell me if I'm correct or incorrect here. I would say when I'm faced with a problem, I... I, it takes me a few minutes usually to come around or a few seconds because like it still hits you as a problem. Like when I see, you know, the company's in the red or someone cancels something or like it still hits me as a human being. But then I very quickly get around to going, OK, how can I make the best of this? That's my optimism. But how can I solve this? And so I would imagine uh, we can encourage those who it's still OK to be upset or to deal with those feelings. But then you get to solving the problem. Is, is that common? Yeah, but, but what's important here is sometimes it takes me days to solve the problem. Sometimes I need to process it. You know, so I'm an introvert. So I always go inside first. You're an extrovert. You go externally when you're solving. So you start yep. talking to people when you're solving a problem. I go inside. So sometimes it is this one minute flash and you got the solution and you're sitting with your team and boom, they're all in awe of how fast you solve that. <laughs> sometimes I say I need a couple of days on this one because it's a monster problem. But nonetheless, I love the process that I go to solve it. So the time frame is different, but nonetheless, you light up when it's time to solve a big creative problem. And then again, with Colby, you're a 10 quick start and a yes. zero follow through. <laughs> I'm an eight quick start with a six follow through. So the way you and I solve it, our approach is gonna be different. And again, extrovert, introvert. Nonetheless, we love solving stuff. We love when people hit us with a problem, it's like, oh, it just got good in here. Yep. And I, I particularly love solving other people's problems. My problems take me a little bit more to get over and then I start solving them. So yeah, like here, here. Uh, driven. This is an interesting one because this is, I would say the easiest way to probably identify this is other people will tell it to you a lot. Other people <laughs> will identify this and say, wow, you're just driven. I remember as a kid, how many people would say, oh, well, you're going to be successful. I would just get mad almost because I'm like, how do you know? I'm like, however old I am. And I, I know I'm dealing with problems right now. I'm trying to make my rent or pay for school, like whatever it was, but people would just, I know, you know, now too, when you see someone who has these traits, but, but I think particularly drive is just an interesting one. So I've never heard anyone really define it. So how do you define driven? Yeah, a few things I want to say here. I'm going to try and boil it down to three. Okay. And so the first one is that this often gets confused with passionate. And, and they could not be more different, okay? Passion is for your thing, okay? The product, the service, the void. Driven, again, it's been with you your whole life, is this internal sense of urgency. It is a competitiveness. You wanna win, you wanna be successful, you're self-motivated, you hustle, you love working hard, okay? And so somebody who's not driven does not like working hard we tend to outwork most everyone else. And, and then the next thing I would share, so that was points one and two, um, without a breath in between. 
Point three <laughs> is I just did a podcast two days ago. It is like, oh, it was so refreshing. And it, it we're, we're a match made in heaven. And I didn't realize this was going to happen until 30 minutes pre preparing for the podcast. But uh, this gentleman wrote a book called Driven. So ironically, that's the name of the trait. Sheer coincidence. Uh, and he's a psychologist, uh, Doug Brackman and um, Dr. Doug Brackman. But what I loved about it is how he goes into great detail, however long that book is, 100 or 200 pages, as to how it's genetic, it's DNA, you are born with this. So what's important to hear here with all of those words you and I just used to describe this, and hopefully it's crystal clear now, for someone to think, and I'm going to be really crude, after being a lazy ass your whole life, that tomorrow there's a way for you to figure out how to be driven, it ain't going to happen. And, and I'm not trying to be mean. Again, I'm trying to save lives here. So if you just simply look back, that's why that questionnaire is so powerful. You're just asking questions, answering questions about yourself from the last decade, two decades, three decades of your life. So just look back. Have you been competitive? Have you been hardworking? You know, have you had this intensity and this urgency in you your whole life? And if so, you're driven because here's the point. And I wanted to use that extreme comment about being a lazy ass. I could have said it nicer, but the point he makes in the book is how, listen, being driven has as many downsides <laughs> as be, not being driven. So listen, I don't know what's better. I wish I knew what contentment felt like, okay? So it's, it's not good, bad, or right or wrong. So it's, we're not coming up with this list of who's the greatest people in the world. It's just these crazy traits of these screwed up entrepreneurs that we are. And so hopefully that third point came through very clear. I absolutely love it. Yes. The uh, urgency I have is a 10 quick start. I never understood why when we talked about something in school or my friends or my parents and I said, all right, well, let's go do it. And I started walking out the door and I'm the only one. Like if I'm going to do it, like we're just going to go do it right now or it's just not going to get done, which is the follow through. Um, the other thing I was talking about, uh, actually, Chris Voss and his son, uh, Brandon Voss about is, you know, the. I always found that my, this is personal experience to get them interested in your feedback. I was always willing to work hard once I realized something was possible and I wasn't just working hard for no good reason. So like if I'm really terrible at like, all right, I'm never going to be an amazing basketball player. I don't have the height. I don't have the size. I don't have that. And, and I, I could, I could bust my butt and I'm never going to make the Olympic team. I'm just not going to. Right. And one of the things I find is really interesting for, for kids. And I find it as I'm raising my kids, um, is that there's this, there's this period of, you have to let your kids struggle just enough to realize that on the other side of struggle is joy and success. But like, how do you set appropriate levels of struggle at different points so that they realize like, you know, now I run five miles every day, pretty much, you know, even when I was training tennis five hours a day in high school, I was trying to go to the Olympics for Barbados. And it was like, that was my goal. And like, if my coach made me run one mile, I thought this was like the most 
hedonistic person in the world. Like, how could you possibly think any human being could run 5,280 feet in one go? And now that I, I run every day, I get sort of this adrenaline from it and I feel great and I, I lift and do other things too, but the run like clears my mind. I listen to audiobooks at two speed. It's great. And I just go, but like I had to get through that struggle in order to find the joy on the other side of it. Um, any advice for how to, I mean, that's just a tough one to, for people to learn. Well, I, but I don't know that I hear the question in there. So great. Well, how riff. would you teach like yeah. for, for a kid or for, for someone like, as you're trying to teach a young person, um, like, like what grit is, they could be driven, but like what grit is in order that you, there is failure before you're going to find that joy. How it, do you think that's just innately born too? But I've seen some parents like sort of throw their kid in the water and if they don't swim, that's, that's it. And it sort of ruins the kids drive to learn to swim. I feel like you could do that in business and in sports and other things too. If you don't set like appropriate boundaries for that, for that amount of effort required before you can experience success on the other side of it. Yeah. yeah so here, here's how I would answer that. Um, because you know, I don't hold myself out to be an expert on that question, but I want to I want to share a thought that maybe indirectly answers it because, you know, it's people will ask, OK, so if I don't have all six essential traits, then what should I do? And that that's not my expertise. I'm not a career coach. I don't know those other jobs. I, I wouldn't function in a real job. And so with all due love and respect, I'm not real smart when it comes to all that other stuff. But man, when it comes to entrepreneurship, Apparently, I'm pretty smart, okay? But that's my thing. That's what I've obsessed about for three decades. So I don't think I can speak to that with intelligence, but I do believe this, you know, and, and after having these conversations for so long, it's it's like, I'm going to give an analogy and then hopefully this will indirectly answer it. It's like the, the, the doctor parents that raise their entrepreneurial kid and force them to go to college and force them to become a doctor and that kid is miserable and we could we could do engineer we could do a, a attorney whatever it is but the parents are forcing the kid down a path or the entrepreneurial parents that are forcing their engineer kid down an entrepreneurial path go start a business here's a hundred don't go to college i'll give you a hundred grand go start a business that's dangerous so every kid is different is my point and so that's why i think if, if you're going to translate it to sports that's why when the parent that puts their kid through the grinder that has the genetic encoding to go through a grinder comes out of that grinder with the Heisman Trophy. But the kid that doesn't needs therapy and the parents were abusive and, and all the other parents form a whatever to lynch the parent. In other words, you can't win, but every kid's different. And so, you know, that's why in the perfect world, if there was an education system that scan the kid's body to know their exact genetic encoding, then there is a perfect path. And so I don't think there is one formula for a kid to all of a sudden give a kid grit and drive and all that wonderful stuff, because I do believe that was inherent in that kid. And if you knew that, then put the kid through the grinder. I would have flourished through the grinder. There are other kids and siblings that would not flourish. So again, I'm not an expert on that, but that's no. my observation and strong opinion. That's what these conversations are for. We're, we're just testing ideas here at the end of the day. So no, I, I love it. And I think that that is such an important thing. It's, it's interesting until you said it that way, 
I hadn't processed this thought, but obviously you and I are both in groups with, you know, in different types of groups with very strong entrepreneurs. They're literally groups created for entrepreneurs. And so I've always cringed when I heard people telling me like all these entrepreneurial things they were doing with their kid. And I was sort of like, am I, am I not being a good parent because I'm not doing all these entrepreneurial things with my kids? And it's like, I, it's so great to hear you say that because I think I got three kids, maybe one of them, and that would be high percentage wise, by the way, maybe one of them is, is entrepreneurial. We'll see. I'm not opposed. I'll help them build a business. I'll help them do whatever they want to do. But I've always felt like, I love how you say it's like, it's irresponsible in a lot of ways to just, to just think, oh, these are the absolute ways I'm going to teach my kid to be an entrepreneur. Because even if I have that encoding, even my wife had that encoding, which uh, I don't think she does. And so even if we both did, it's still not a given that our kids are going to, especially more than one might have it. And so it's really good advice to not force it, even yeah, amongst it, your it, kid. It, and if I can just add one more thing, another real world example. And so, you know, my two brothers, you know, are not entrepreneurs. My dad was an amazing entrepreneur and I'm an entrepreneur. So you know, he put me through the grinder and I flourished and he and I were like twins. It's like heaven when we're together in business. Um, and, and so my two brothers can't fully relate to that. And but they're just fine. And then my kids, neither is an entrepreneur. Um, and, and so it, th the point there is it's just dangerous. And so if I forced both of my kids to go start businesses because it's so cool living this entrepreneurial life I live, I, you know, so it's, everybody's different. And, and for me, it works with my entrepreneurial father, for my kids, it probably wouldn't work and it'd be dangerous. Uh, totally agree. I, I, uh, I had to learn a thing pretty humbly with my kids coming of age in different ages that, you know, I've always thought, well, I've always done a good job trying to be grounded and help them be grounded. But like the one of the first things came up when um, my 16 year old it was time to, to start driving and he turned 16. And so I had always said, I'm not buying my kid a car. They don't, they're not born deserving a car. That's not just something you just magically get when you turn 16. And I had to pay for my car. And so we're going to learn this lesson, all these things. And so as time went on, I started thinking through things and I was like, well, I bet I had to work because we we're immigrants. My parents were having a hard time, but I thought about it and I had to buy my car, but I thought, you know, I bet if I was doing a good job at my job, which was school and sports, which I have, my oldest is, you know, an AP classes, got a four point something GPA playing three varsity sports. I'm like, I bet my parents wouldn't have made me work. I mean, I bet they would have said, Hey, keep doing what you're doing really well. We got the car, but I had to really realize, and hopefully this will help somebody out there like that. My story isn't my kid's story there are lessons to be learned within what I have learned, but just wholesale taking things. That's the way it was for me. That's the way it is going to be for you. So, you know, I created a hybrid and I, I told him, I said, Hey, you got to come up with five grand. That's just because I want you to respect this car. And, and, his, you know, of course his grandparents and family gave him about half of that for his birthday. So that, 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 that moved my timeline up six months, which didn't make me happy, but that's, that's what that is. Uh, but you know, it's just this whole thing of, of, I think it's a really important thing just in, and worth noting in the discussion that, and that's the way, how I would articulate it is my story is not my kid's story. So let's all remember that it doesn't have to be just because it was the way it was for us. I mean, we live life through a pretty singular lens. I mean, you and I have lots of experiences through other people, but we still, at the end of the day, we spend the most time and you as an introvert, even more time with yourself than anybody else. And we just got to remember that 
our story is not always their story. I just yeah, I'll and, I, and I and I think I think if you lined up ten very successful kids that grew up successful and then interviewed their parents on their parenting style, sadly you're going to get ten different variations for how to raise a kid. So I just don't think there's this one perfect way, even though everybody's trying to seek that one way. I think our kids are a little more coddled than they should be these days. So, you know, I was pretty tough on my kids, but uh, it's, you know, yeah. I don't think there is one way. Well, kids are pretty complicated, right? They're like their own human beings. I mean, if I, all, all you have to do is acknowledge your own complications. And if you, if you can acknowledge those, you can, you can acknowledge that your kids are equally as complicated in, in different ways. So, exactly. all right, we'll, we'll leave that one there. Risk taker. This is one that gets a lot of uh, celebration in certain places. This gets a lot of celebration. Uh, tell me more about what this really is, how it works and, and how to be safe with it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is, uh, I'll say a few things here, you know, first of all, again, you're looking at your past history and your actions, and this is where you have a habit of when it comes time to make a tough decision, you don't freeze. You don't get caught up in analysis paralysis. You make the tough decision, you go forward. And so you've demonstrated that. You're rebellious. Uh, you're willing to fail. You don't want to fail, but you know failure is part of the equation. You tend to beg for forgiveness instead of ask for permission. And, and another way to describe this, because this one is sometimes misunderstood, because people think if I start a business, I'm a risk taker, as if that's like the biggest risk you take when that's not the point at all. Like I say, I'm trying to save you 10 years of hell if you don't have these traits. It's not starting your business. It's the 1,000 brutally difficult decisions you're going to make over the next 10 years that will potentially put you out of business is that what makes you a risk taker. And so if you can't make one really tough decision, get ready. I mean, you're going to make six decisions a day and two a week are going to be brutally difficult. And you got to be able to make that decision and go. And sometimes it's it's spending 50 grand on marketing when you've got 60 grand in your account. You know, you're literally risk. Sometimes it's firing your best, most productive salesperson because of something they culturally did wrong, uh, which could potentially put you out of it. So it's making that's the risk taking of being an entrepreneur. It's not I started my business. And then to your point about, you know, how do you I can't remember the exact word you use, but make it safer. Um, I don't know that you can, but you do need to know where you are on that risk gauge. Because again, going back to that entrepreneurial range, you know, an Elon Musk, a Walt Disney, an Oprah Winfrey, a Sarah Blakely, they redline risk taker. They take big risks. I mean, let's just, we've got this real life example in Elon Musk. I mean, holy cow, the risk this guy takes. Uh, it's so impressive. They're calculated risks at the end of the day, but nonetheless, they're risks. So you've got to decide because you may need to save up 50 grand before you take your entrepreneur leap because you want something of a cushion and others will just right. take the leap, you know? And so we're all different from that standpoint. But I, I go back to the first thing I said and just look at your history. And when you're faced with a tough, scary decision, do you make the decision and go? And if you do, then odds are pretty good. You have this risk taker gene slash trait in you. Yeah. And, and you're going to make bad decisions sometimes too. That's part of the whole deal. Like sometimes yeah. it's like, wow, I really misjudged that. And there's some yeah. people who are really bad at judging risk. Um, and as you say, there is no one right way to do this. I'm sure the way I make decisions would make 
would make a lot of people's stomachs turn, especially if you got like an engineer mindset, you want to see all the data, you know, like this life isn't just isn't for everybody. And just the same way as another entrepreneur, the way I make decisions or the way I take risks wouldn't be for everybody. It just would keep them up at night, even though we could both be entrepreneurs. There's a lot of room for personality, I'll call it, within within these traits. And as you said, sort of, you know, left side, right side. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting way to look at that. Um, this sixth one is, I love the way this is explained. You're responsible and you blame no one. Um, the first chapter, and again, our friend Jack Canfield's book, The Success Principles, act as if you are responsible. Because some people say, I'm not responsible for everything. What if a drunk driver hits me? It, I get it, but act as if you're responsible. And I think there's no greater empowerment in the world, but a lot of people have problems taking responsibility for anything. You got that right. So what I would say on this is a, a few things here. You know, first of all, as you said, you blame no one. And, and so I believe that you can divide the world into two people, the ones that take responsibility and the ones that don't. And, and I don't know the exact percentage, but again, we're getting you to look back at your life here. And when something goes wrong, what is your default? And a responsible person defaults to, this is my problem. I need to solve this. They lean into it. And someone who doesn't take responsibility blames everyone else. They did that to me. Look what they did to me. And they're always pointing out at others as opposed to looking in the mirror. And the reason I know that this is genetic and you're born with this and it's nature over nurture is look at a household with four kids, with multiple siblings. And all of you listening out there, you can think of your siblings. You can literally put them in one of two camps. And so how is it possible in the same household, four kids, Two of them take responsibility, two don't. Same parents, same upbringing, same household their whole life. How on earth could they raise two different types of kids? And so that tells you that it's truly genetic and you're born with this. But simply put, you lean into it and you take responsibility if it's your problem. And to your point about getting you know, in an accident, best way I've heard that one described is if a meteor hits your building, okay? So I'm trying to think of the most extreme thing that you would take no responsibility for. But if a meteor hits your building, a responsible person says, that's my responsibility, that's my fault, I chose that building, I built that building there, this is my problem to solve. They don't default to what the rest do, and that is they suck their thumb and say, woe is me, and look what they did to me, and look what happened to me. You just solve it, it's your, your problem to solve, solve it own it it's yours so that's so, what that's worth so this is an interesting one so now do you believe there are certain we're going to go back to children because you know at the end of the day we're, i'm trying to raise three successful ones um do you believe that there's genetically there's some people who can't take responsibility oh 100 that's the point i'm making and but watch this though this is what's really important nick is I'm not saying it's a good thing, okay? And I share this right in the book. It, it is a psychological disorder to take too much responsibility. And it is also a psychological disorder to not take any responsibility. I wish I could recall the exact, what the disorder is called, but both of them are a disorder. So these traits, I'm not saying they're good, bad, right, or wrong. I'm just saying this is what an entrepreneur possesses. So again, this is, we're not saying that this makes you great uh, because, 
taking all of this responsibility is a burden. It's a load. It wears on you. It takes years off your life, but that is just the default. So long answer to your question, but absolutely. So that the ones that don't take responsibility, it's also genetic in them as well. And I don't know which one's better because sometimes they look more peaceful than we do, but it just simply is what it is. Yeah, no, the reason I asked it so explicitly is because most of us, I mean, so obviously if there's disorders on both ends, everything is a spectrum, but there's a normal level. There's normal, there's normal levels, you know, litmus test in here somewhere, but is it is just an interesting thought that most parents, particularly those with born with this trait, it'd be one that is particularly hard to understand. Someone isn't born with this trait. And so, so at my point being, you probably can't beat more, you know, a, a, over a certain level of responsibility, you can't just beat it into them, you know, figuratively or literally. Agreed. And, and this is a little sinister, but now that you all know this out there, just start watching the people in life. Start watching your kids, start watching your siblings. Every problem that goes wrong, you can see them either lean into it and start solving their problem or look to you or someone else to solve their problem. They literally almost put their hands up and then you start to fill that void because as the parent, you're defaulting to filling that void that you've always filled for them. And I can think back to me growing up, every one of my problems, I did not need my parents to solve it. Again, if I'm six and it's something that I do need them, yeah. but as I look back to like literally six to 21, I mean, I would solve my own problems and my default wasn't mom and dad helped me out, bail me out on this one. I was solving my problem. So it's it's you can literally watch it and it's incredible if you'll just heighten your awareness and then you'll know. I, I love this. Now, you cover an awful lot more in the book. We just have a few more minutes. I'm going to stick in the confirm part of the book here. Like you said, there's the glimpse and there's the path. Um, I think obviously the first step, step one is to confirm. So we'll spend a little bit more time here and then I couldn't encourage you more, everyone listening to uh, buy entrepreneurial leap, buy it for your friends, buy it for family members. Like let it's a gift to people to help them understand this. We, we've talked about the, uh, both every sword cuts both ways. It's the way it's often said, you know, every great strength comes with a great weakness. You're yeah. usually your greatest gifts is one of my favorites. Usually your greatest gifts are closest to your greatest wounds. I mean, all of these things are, are related to each other, but you also yeah. talk about, there are some, you know, there's some challenging characteristics of entrepreneurs and you talk about uh, some of the more difficult common characteristics being uh, trouble staying focused, uh, easily getting bored. Um, talk about a few of those traits and uh, obviously they can be detrimental, but they have a strong side to them too. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, I certainly can't recall it all perfectly, but I literally do like a five page riff on this because the weaknesses are plentiful okay i mean literally and you know it because you read it so so i can't recall the 50 words that i could rattle off right now so i'm just going to give you some high level ones because someone with these six essential traits a lot of times they're not great with money so most of them die broke uh they certainly have a very addictive personality uh, they certainly have ADHD, and so they struggle with focus and attention. They struggle with details, and so they're just terrible with details. And so left on their own in building their company, if they don't counterbalance themselves with strong managers that can handle the details, there's just this black, messy trail behind them that they leave. 
And so there's a few high level ones, but I literally, uh, a little sinister too, but just enjoyed that five page riff because again, I'm trying to help that entrepreneur really understand and embrace their weaknesses and showcase their weaknesses. You know, like my lack of detail orientation in terms of paperwork and things like that, I, I overtly am proud to share that and have people around me that are great at just taking all of those details and running with it. So I don't want to turn these things into strengths. And I urge when you read that five page riff that you don't read them as these are weaknesses I need to turn to strengths. These are just, this is the support you need around you. If you're terrible with finance, then one of your first hires needs to be someone who's great with finance or outsource it to a great accountant or virtual CFO or fractional CFO, but just support all of your weaknesses with talented people so you can keep yourself 100% in your sweet spot that are all of your strengths. Yeah, so case in point, you said every entrepreneur that you interviewed that went to college said they didn't use what they learned in college. I am a finance major, so that'll tell you everything you need to know. And I don't use a single bit of that stuff in my business. Thank God for a, a CFO who's amazing. Um, the I think that's a really interesting point that there are uh, and obviously our mutual mentor, Dan Sullivan, talks a lot about what he calls unique ability. And it really, look, there are certain there are certain things in life that are hard that is good for you to get better at. Like, for instance, lifting weights. Like, you should put your body through some resistance. Yoga is really tough if you've never tried it. I got challenged to do 30 days of yoga, and I did it with my wife, and it kicked my butt. But, like, <laughs> there's certain things, like, particularly for your health, there's certain things you, you should work at getting better at. However, there are a lot of vocational things, a lot of, um, a lot of genetic things that – we should just accept. And I, what I love what you talk about being in a sweet spot and Dan Sullivan called, you know, unique ability. I love this idea of, Hey, how about if we focus on our strengths and we have people around us who can help us with these things we're not great at. One of the biggest eye openers to me ever was that the things that I hate, there's actually someone who loves it. And like, it was just so hard for me to fathom, but you can actually give someone great joy in doing the things that you don't enjoy because there literally is someone on earth who enjoys some part of it, even if it seems a bit like masochistic, like there's people who like, yo, I got so much grit. I got to, I'm working with a guy right now. He ran 101 Ironmans in 101 days. Like this is insanity. So something within him found joy in this experience. So if there's, if that's possible, it's possible, certainly mundane tasks like accounting or paperwork that I hate. Certainly there's someone who loves those things. And that's just a really hard thing to understand when your traits are so strong. But I love the fact that we're starting to talk about like, hey, why don't we focus on what we love doing and what we and what we would never stop loving. I think that's an amazing way to live life because we've all seen people burn out and all this and, and burnout doesn't come from doing too much of what you love doing. Burnout comes from not simplifying it down into enough of the thing that you really love when you break it down into sort of micro skills like business certainly isn't a skill sales isn't even a skill there's many micro skills as james altucher my friend would call it and i think it's just that's a really big realization and of course all of this is necessary you said addictive personality uh driven all these things uh, it is important to those who are in your life that 
are not toxic, realizing you're different than them. Like my brother and I very different. I'm different than a lot of my family members, my children, my spouse, like, and, and setting healthy boundaries and having others help you set, set healthy boundaries because that can lead to a whole world of problems that are not what you want in your life. So it is important to have these support systems around you because being an entrepreneur can also be lonely. Um, it can be scary. I mean, mm -hmm. there are times, you know, and I don't even work in the healthcare business, but there are healthcare entrepreneurs. There are times when mistakes can kill people, right? Or and, and a simple and an unintentional mistake. So support systems, uh, which is what you really help people build in EOS, you know, building support systems so you can operate in your sweet spot. Um, I've, I've riffed long enough about it, but it's not, I can't say how important it is. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, what I would say to that is let's go back to the three parts of the book confirm, glimpse, path. So that was all about confirm. And now that you know you have these strengths, but you also know you have these weaknesses, you know, glimpse, I'm showing you the life and all that is possible. It's path that are the practical insights I give you to build that infrastructure that you're talking about so that you're staying in your sweet spot building a company, having the support mechanisms in place to do that. So just know that that's where we get into all of those tactical how to's and how to handle every milestone that you hit on your journey to building your business. And then certainly when you have a certain number of employees, that's when it's time to implement EOS in your business. The idea here is to get you through startup and get you on a great path to avoid half of the mistakes you're about to make because they're avoidable. The other half you have to make but I can help you avoid half of them for sure. Absolutely. And, and those who are a little more strong-willed, they have to make a little more than half of them, but you can <laughs> help people avoid them. Uh, Gino Wickman, author of The Entrepreneurial Leap. If you're already well into your entrepreneurial career, I could not recommend more the book Traction. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom to be had here. As you said, you obsess with how to make these things practical and how to teach, and you've done that very well. Check out all the books. Gino, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. My pleasure, Nick. Had a blast. All right. We'll see you guys next time on Now to Next with Nick Danton. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes.